Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Net Positive Podcast. A podcast which educates and inspires marketers, product managers, and companies in the best way to generate and optimize your flows. We're your hosts, Matt Brown and Jess Walker, and we will bring you the latest on how to improve your signup flow, increase your leads, and grow your business. Let's, Let's jump, jump in. in. Today, we have our very first remote podcast with Jordan Lewis, who started his career in product management at a Kiwi company called Vend a cloud-based point-of-sale retail management software. He was a growth hacker repping product-led growth before either of those were a popular term. He worked at Xero before his current role as head of growth at Deputy, a software for rostering staff. Recently, Jordan has co-founded his own company, SpotRisk, and shares his vast knowledge on growth hacking and sign-up flows. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for being with us today, Jordan. Great to have you on the program. Thank you. Look, I'd love to kick off and just obviously dive into uh, a little bit on your career. So tell us how you got to where you are in your career today. Like, what's the story so far? I guess my parents' background was my father was always an entrepreneur, started many businesses when I was young, and my mother um, always headed up fashion and retail companies and houses. So um, early on through kind of the later school years in university, I went to retail to uh, try and earn uh, enough money to keep everything going on the side. And through that, I got a really uh, good understanding of consumer psychology. And so I studied some psychology in university and then ended up joining a company called Vend, which is a New Zealand-based cloud point-of-sale company, one of the first early movers in that space. And that was a nice synergy of, um, I guess, my background in retail and also my ability to um, help software work for the end user. So I started as a customer success manager and then about four to six months into that journey, I identified a lot of problems, lots of workarounds and the product team had a product at the time said, well, maybe you could be a good way to help try and solve some of the problems you've identified in your first few months. Um, so worked at Vend as a uh, product manager through senior product manager, started getting into some interesting, I guess what retrospectively now I know were growth hacks and kind of product-led growth initiatives. Um, at the time, they were just interesting experiments that were kind of raising a few eyebrows. So I'm like, what's the point of that? And what are you trying to achieve? Yep. Um, which led me to kind of reading more, hey, this is a discipline, kind of this growth thing is real. And there's both this marketing growth element and a product growth element. And that's what took me to uh, zero with the old head of um, or CMO at the time of uh, a event called Francois. I went to zero and um, also was at deputy as head of growth for a while at deputy too. Yeah. So that's kind of what got me into product software and I guess that end user focused mindset, which has been the constant throughout. That's awesome. So you were a growth hacker before a growth hacker was a buzzword and it was like a cool thing to be. Maybe. Yeah. I was just trying <laughs> to figure out how can you build tools using a, a software development team mm -hmm. that can delight existing users and also acquire new users in your target segment. Um, and for me, that was super interesting where traditionally product managers just figure out how to build features for existing customers and, you know, relentless product market fit. And there's interesting KPIs, and we can talk about that later associated with growth other than how many existing customers used my thing in a given week. And you also started a business this year, is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So um, on the side, and I think through learning some of um, the, the tricks that you learn as a uh, product manager and how to, I guess, identify problems and opportunities and then figure out the solutions off the back of that. Um, a few friends and I identified some uh, opportunities around the online e-commerce risk, risk prevention and fraud prevention space. So we mm -hmm. started a, um, a little company called Spot Risk, which we're just playing around with on the side and putting a lot of those learnings into how do you validate ideas cheaply because we have very little money <laughs> um, and how do you, I guess, do just enough to learn what to do next on a shoestring budget 
And that does apply to how I work at Deputy, because even though, you know, they've had a fairly significant Series B, um, everything I do is about how can that dollar go the furthest to create the um, best return. So even at Deputy, we still work in that startup kind of mentality and that bootstrap mindset. Can we dive a little bit further into your role at Deputy? What what do, exactly do you do there? Yeah. And kind of what challenges did you face on the, in the early days and how did you evolve your, your role? Sure. So at the moment I head up, I guess you could call it product growth at Deputy. So I'm um, director of growth. We also have a new function with another uh, Kiwi, uh, Dom, uh, Dom Newman, who's heading up uh, growth marketing. And we have a very mm-hmm. collaborative uh, role there. So I have a few product squads. Uh, one is the website squad. The other one is an acquisition squad, figuring out how do we get more top of the funnel traffic and convert them to trials. And then we have another squad exclusively focused on that mobile conversion rate. Um, and you know, early on when I started at, um, at Deputy, we had, it was the first growth squad. So it was kind of how do we grow a new growth squad? How does it find its feet? How do you build those relationships between product and marketing and really be that, mm-hmm. that bridge. Because at the time, at least when I reported to Francois, we were this independent growth function. Now it is slightly more under product, but just as independent, that's just more the all chart structure. Um, but you have to be strong and independent and super collaborative with both marketing and, and the product. And of course, having the website, the website is a tech stack. It's, um, you know, an AB testing kind of dream, but it's also the shop window and the marketing's kind of biggest asset as well. Um, so, so yeah, and the biggest challenge was forming that growth team, getting the bonds and enabling people to trust you with the remit to essentially play with the key metrics of the funnel, um, while doing that on top of other product managers areas of the product, I guess. So tell me like, what were some of the key milestones building deputies, sign up and onboarding flow? Can you talk a little bit more about the customer experience, any steps that really jump out at you? Yeah, so um, we've kind of overhauled the sign-up flow a couple of times, and we're about to do that again um, over December and January. So by February, we'll have this new sign-up and onboarding flow at Deputy, and that includes uh, both web and our mobile application as well. Um, so there's always a balance of essentially intent of your of your sign-up and how much information or how many um, hoops or how much friction you want them to have to go through in order to land in the trial and get the information you need to tailor their experience and also the information you need to sell to them effectively. Um, so part of that was experimenting with how much information is the right information, um, phone numbers being mandatory, all the while, you know, having to add additional fields like the business says, now we need to figure out everyone's employee range or everyone's right. vertical um, as part of uh, some hyper-focus on whether it be retail, hospitality, healthcare, for example. So as we add these things into the sign-up flow, we need to figure out, do we just layer them on top? And at what point do you strip it out and do it again? Mm. And I think big, part of the biggest challenge is we tend to wait as long as possible to do that big overhaul where you add, add, add until the UX team says, you can't add anymore, we have to do this again. Yeah. And of course, that comes with a bit of angst because you have to say, hey, we need to rebuild the sign-up flow. And um, doing that and the longer it takes to do that process, the more risk you're adding. So a rebuild of a new sign-up flow can be great for driving trials, but then 30 to 60 days later, you're going to see your conversion rate tank because you've got a whole bunch of lower intent trials in. Or the opposite, mm. you could drop trial volume, but financially it could be a great revenue impact because most of those people are actually converting uh, to paid. So um, the key milestones, I guess, to, to loop back to that question is um, figuring out how best to position the information you need the user to give um, in order Mm -hmm. to sell and give them a delightful experience. And as I say, making those big changes is always 
is something that tends to be delayed as, as long as possible. And, and Upflow as a product can enable you to take those bigger bets, I believe, quickly without as much investment kind of from the entire design org um, and every stakeholder that goes with changing your sign up flow right it's a it's a high interest highly visible change that everyone has feels about um and so the longer that process drive draws out the harder it is so you're having something where you can quickly try a completely different concept in the sign up flow with the same fields Mm. or different and get feedback on that uh, is key do you think from your entire career have you seen the psychology of customers and how we feel about sign up flows change over time so like are we accepting of giving more information now than we were you know 10 years ago it depends it's a, for small businesses i think there's very much the why do you need that information from me mentality so they're keeping it closed yeah. and consumers are getting used to this again product led growth kind of concept which was you know, four or five years ago, it was pretty unique to see a business with just email and name and you're in the product, you know, it was like you need mm. a credit card, but you'd have to remember to cancel that credit card before the end of your trial period. Um, there was a lot of committal. So I think now that we have, um, we have the ability to ask customers exactly um, the information we need in a way that they can see the benefit of giving it up. Um, I think that's the trick for us. And that's where Smaller customers are being more mindful. Larger customers, they tend they procure a lot of software quite often. Mm. So they might be trialing two or three software like Deputy. And I think they're a bit more aware of what happens when you enter your phone number in a sign-up field, like they're going to get a phone call. And sometimes people want a phone call in a larger business or a smaller business. Mm-hmm. That's the last thing they want. Um, so I guess as more people have these lower barrier to entries and these SaaS products, it's getting um, more and more expected that they can just jump in the product and uh, mm-hmm. experience it. I was listening to a podcast the other day where someone was talking about in the past, it was about the trial kind of courting or trying to almost date the software. So you had to go yeah. above and beyond right. as a trialist to, to get that time with the sales rep. And that mean you need to be big enough or do certain things to be qualified. Whereas um, the, the product led growth model and the freemium model to this um, podcast point is all about the product trying to court you as the user, because all mm-hmm. you've just given us your name and email and now you're in the trial. So it's all about the product leading first. And I think that's more where everything's going longer term. Can we touch on your time at zero? So you were there for, was it eight months? Yeah, it was about um, nine months, just under a year. Nine months. Okay, nice. And what, what did you do there? What were your kind of key KPIs and what were your goals to? So the growth team there was um, slightly different to how it is at Deputy. It was under as part of the revenue function mm-hmm. of Zero, um, And that makes a lot of sense to me because ultimately if you're at, at Deputy, you're part of the conversion team mm-hmm. or you're trying to get a tr- trial number or sign up. So you've got all these individual metrics, but ultimately you need the right balance of metrics to get the right amount, the ultimate revenue, mm-hmm. like harmonious revenue funnel. So um, at, at Zero, we were more about, um, because it's such a big company, to have this first kind of growth squad takes longer to, I guess, get the permission and trust to do these big bets. Mm-hmm. So what we were trying to do is um, essentially solve two problems in our first six months is how do we drive virality and network effect through the Zero customer base? Um, so we were working on this feature, the zero to zero network, which essentially enables people to send invoices and uh, credits uh, paperlessly from a zero account to a zero account mm-hmm. without the email import export function. Um, and obviously network effect is one of the best growth tools if you can get that right. Um, we also did uh, spun up the first outbound integrations team because of course we thought um, 
there's a lot of product and layers at Zero, and one of the easiest ways was what could we do consuming the API like any third party would. And so we started building these um, outbound integrations to things like MailChimp and HubSpot. And those are things that have actually launched this year nice. um, through Zero. So there's a slow tail, but we and now there's a full kind of ecosystem mm-hmm. outbound integrations team that does that. And it's twofold, it's to solve product market fit, but also get, my lens was how do you get really good representation in those key marketplaces um, where your personas are already living. You touched on a couple of tools then. I'd love to dive into some of the tools that you use, some of the dashboards that you look at every day, week, month. And I'd also love to dive into, you know, which tools have you used previously that you've brought into your new role? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think um, we were using Optimizely when I started at uh, Deputy, but that's definitely my favorite A-B testing tool. Uh, We've also been using Adobe Target. that was part of the agency setup we had with conversion rate optimization on the website. Um, so we're using both of those and they're great, but I'll ideally only uh, use one. So um, Optimize is that A-B testing tool of choice for me. Um, I've used WalkMe as well in the product for signposting. Um, when I started, WalkMe was kind of the onboarding guide and now we're using it more as like the glue between the other pieces mm-hmm. rather than like, we're going to take you on this fixed journey using these um, ABC tools to flows um i mean i can just look open at my tabs now right what yeah. have we got um okay so we've got four things with tableau open how many which tabs is do you have open <laughs> not that bad um i think only about 12 um it's not that's bad because i got a bigger screen <laughs> my computer my fan goes too loud if i have any more though that's the real reason so yeah i've got like a dashboard up with an uh, bayesian a b testing results of kind of a, a whole funnel mm-hmm. uh, impact from sign up trial um, paid upgrade. Um, that's really interesting. I've got full story open. So I'm a huge fan of full story. I think it's one of the most cost effective tools for you to kind of combine, you know, Tableau and full story you get. Can you please uh, just explain what full story is for the listeners? Yeah. So full story, a session essentially records your, um, the session of a user. Mm-hmm. So um, based on where you decide to record with a, um, in a PII and it's a semi-anonymized way, I can watch someone who would land on the website. And for example, if I'm doing a new sign up flow, I've just sent our UX designer a, de- a segment I built in full story, which shows everyone who engages with these buttons during the sign up flow. And that just enables us to watch and get um, a feel of how people use the product, awesome. which quite often isn't encapsulated with mm. the raw analytics events that would get through Tableau. Mm-hmm. So I really try to have that user centric view as well as that super analytical mindset about the data. And I think that's a key um, attribute of a growth team. Yeah, I think those are those are the key ones that stand out to me. Um, obviously, I'm a big big fan of Upflowy as well, and it's something that I use uh, for my side project Spot Risk as well. Disclaimer: and that just us we, to... we didn't pay you for that advertisement. Yeah. No, no, no. Well, like like it was the quickest way for us to get a world class sign up flow up and running mm. and a contact us form up and running when we didn't have the dev capacity to do it or the design resources to point us in the right direction. Anything which enables you to learn quickly, make decisions with more confidence and fail with less cost Mm. is a tool that I like. And Mm. throughout your career, do you have any kind of aha moments that you've experienced in one job that you could take onto the next role or what was the biggest, you know, that worked really well and I loved, I loved doing that. Yeah, I get the first one is, is the consequence of looking at one metric in Mm -hmm. isolation. Mm -hmm. So I think like we've, we've been very mindful of, of, I guess, hyper-focus at deputy as a, as a thing. And we've always been like trial to paid conversion. Um, but 
previous roles and also my time at deputies taught me that if you focus on just generating um, that metric as your KPI, that's going to have a downstream impact on other teams, whether that be the customer success team and their churn of paying customers. Uh, like I've built, I built a new sign-up flow. Um, I built a new sign-up flow that has massively increased trials, and I've been quick to tell the business how quickly, like how much more revenue. Like I've increased trials, we're going to make so much money, right? <laughs> not at all, because it's not until they pay us money and then they stay longer than the average churn mm. uh, time that you can really say was that experiment um, a success? I think a huge aha moment for me was when I, I started to realize the interdependency of onboarding between your different platforms. Mm -hmm. So we have um, traditionally kind of had a mobile and a web crew and they haven't had a great sort of alignment, even though they have been under growth. And as we're getting this, these insights about the importance of someone who takes a mobile trial um, and whether they like it or not, mm. they need to be aware and understand what role desktop plays and vice versa in that um, is really important. Where When I started, I was trying to go for this, like, well, you came in through mobile, so we're just going to delight you with mobile forever. So I guess understanding more about the personas of a mobile trial versus a desktop trial could be an answer to that question um, and the intent associated, associated with that, the different buying behaviors, the, I guess, the cycle time of that purchasing decision. We tend to report in a 30-day cohort for desktop trials, mm -hmm. but in a 60-day cohort for mobile just because right. they, they didn't come in sitting in front of the computer ready to jump into a trial. They might've just had five minutes to download a few apps and you might've been one of many that they did in literally seconds. Right. to take a trial on desktop um, is a bit more involved because you're not just clicking download yeah. on five icons in your search result from the app store. So do you see there's more intent if you're in front of a desktop to actually use the product? I think it's there's, there's more intent, yes, but it's we're finding like, we're seeing more intent on mobile than we thought. Okay. So we're starting to see, you know, to say a world-class desktop conversion rate at, um, could be upwards of 15 to 20% um, for trial to paid conversion. And we're starting to think like we can break 10% for that mobile conversion rate too, which is really interesting. So mm -hmm. it's about what is the difference? So there's intent, but also the different, um, I guess, what can you actually do with that sort of real estate? If you try and copy paste the experience on desktop and just make it mobile, that's not going to work. So having this mobile first approach um, for that mobile customer mm. and just tailoring the journey to be um, that mobile mindset has been super insightful. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I would no longer, I would always have an onboarding squad, but I would make sure we really understand that desktop and mobile trial base because when we started, you know, have if you can, double, triple, quadruple the conversion rate of a channel that represents over 40% of your trials for the business, all of a sudden, you know, the, um, the, the next year strategy can change very drastically off the back of that. If you can get the momentum for the business, you'll see them investing in resources to further bolster that. Mm. Um, so yeah, you got to get the momentum first. Yeah, awesome. Um, look, I'd love to dive into a bit of momentum. So, you, you know, you've started your own side hustle recently. Tell us some of the things that you're really thinking about now that will give you a real tailwind as you build this business on the side. Tailwind for me is again, back to that word, like confidence. It's like how, how much more of my own money or someone else's money or my mm. own time or my family's time do I put kind of into this now? And so for me, it's always about like, do we need to take a step back and move sideways to go forward or are we still kind of chipping away in the right direction? So we have essentially built a website. Um, we've built a prototype and we're about to 
go through this rebranding exercise where we've had a design expert and creative come in and kind of give us a bit more of a sense of who we are and represent that um, in the, the website especially. So from there, we're, we're working with customers on really like, hey, we heard you early on and now we've built this thing. Mm. Does it resonate with you? How close are we? And so the momentum is, I feel like we're at a make or break time now where we've done enough to say, if, if this isn't hitting the mark, it kind of is throwaway time. Um, but however, I, I'm feeling quite confident that we are onto something and these, com- these conversations we're having are proving um, really, I guess, validating that at least 50% of what we're doing is on the right track, maybe more. Um, so that tailwind, that momentum um, is all going to be based on this round of validation and how much mm-hmm. we need to pivot, stop, or just continue down the path. Mm-hmm. And again, for the listeners, can you please give us a 20 second elevator pitch of what Spot Risk does? Yeah, for sure. So, Spot Risk is a risk prevention platform for SMB um, e commerce merchants. Uh, and there's various facets of risk for an online business. It could be um, fraud from the, um, uh, you know, the stolen credit card to the chargeback fraud, right the way across to other types of risk like account uh, takeover mm-hmm. prevention and other things. So we just want to enable sm- uh, these small merchants to grow and scale with confidence without needing to worry about fraud. And currently the uh, market very much serves the enterprise space and there's a few solutions out there, but they're very expensive and prices out a lot of the people who have a small fraud problem or are, uh, having some teething issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, it's going to get better uh, with spot risk. I'd love to dive into, you know, obviously you've started your own business, um, you know, for, for somebody else starting out who maybe doesn't have as much experience as you, or maybe somebody starting out in their first growth or product-led growth role, like what would you tell them? You know, what are some of the things that you would impart in your, in your first, first conversation with that person? You have to understand where to be most effective mm-hmm. because there's two parts. Like you can analyze the data and go, right, I think the leakiest part of the bucket is here. Um, maybe you've got a remit which kind of dictates that already. And then you have the strategy. And as long as you can keep a few months ahead of the strategy and you know what the metrics say, you can front foot, this is where I think this limited amount of resources is best spent. I mean, I've got a group of people that could build a new tool to acquire more customers like the ones we need Mm -hmm. that could overhaul the sign-up flow, completely update the um, trial experience or conversion rate optimization on the checkout page. And when you have that skill set, um, as well as growth marketing in there, the world's kind of your oyster. So you need to be very savvy with what you choose um, and realize how long you can go for that metric. So we talked about um, one of those experiences entering deputy. And when I started, it was very much focused on desktop. Mm -hmm. You need to realize like when you're going to get closer to diminishing returns and you can have this great team making world-class impact, but you need to figure out that's an expensive team to keep running. How long can you keep um, that same group focused on that same metric? And when do you then kind of look at two metrics or completely um, resource both or yeah, just float up and down the funnel. And I think since I've been at deputy, we've gone around that funnel a few times. We've, we've done the sign up flow. We've done the trial experience. Um, we've looked at a few things around churn and now we're back to sign up flows. And that tends to kind of cycle through web and mobile apps as well. What is the number one mistake first time founders or marketers make when they're thinking about the sign up flow? Is there some advice you could give us? Yeah, I think I, I touched on it before. It's like, I don't think anyone should build it with a, what do we need from the customer mentality? Mm-hmm. Because it's, I think customers can see through that and you're going to, 
you know, if you have a mandatory field, you're just going to get drop off um, if, if you make people give it to you. But if you, we've had good experience with making a field optional and having mm. 80% of people give it to us because we've given the reciprocal value. You know, it could wow. be a, hey, give us your phone number and we'll send you a link to download our app. A very crude example, but um, a lot of marketers might just say, well, let's say, well, we need this because sales needs to call people. Mm. So let's get the phone number in there. So mm. it's, you can ask the same thing, but you can position in the best way for your customer. And if you're doing that, you're making sure that that, I guess, um, commitment of giving you something actually benefits me mm. more than being sold to um, and also benefits the business. So making sure that uh, you've got this customer-centric mindset and you're not starting off in growth to kind of get what the business needs because half of that cohort needs to be a no-touch trial group and the rest needs to be high-touch. So we need phone numbers from that group and not the next. That's that's some very sage advice. I'd, I'd love actually now just to probably dive into, uh, in retrospect, you know, who are some of the people that you look up to? Where do you go to get your inspiration? Yeah, so I think the Reforge program is always um, a big one. Some Brian Balfour uh, type thing. Um, Andrew Chan is a, is a big one. Look, I'd say um, Francois Bondigueur was my uh, my boss uh, at Zero and at Deputy for a while as well. Um, I really look up to him from one of those like true growth marketers who understands product, uh, top of the funnel, traditional acquisition methods, and as I said at Vend saw that I could build this kind of tool that could then like be used as a marketing thing and a product market fit device. And I, I thought that was rare. So uh, yeah, definitely, definitely he comes to mind. Um, and I'm thinking there's a, there's a Sky Millsy. Let me see if I could, the podcast I mentioned earlier was actually by, yeah, Chris Miller, um, who heads up growth at HubSpot at the moment. Um, yeah, I think he's had some sage advice. I've had the pleasure of meeting him before and was kind of awestruck. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You fangirls. Sure. <laughs> Amazing. And what is your most surprising win throughout your entire career if you can pick one? Is that a difficult one? It would be that Venn scanner uh, type idea. So that was just like that. We had a hackathon. I pitched this idea. We built it. It kind of got put on the, well, that's a bit of a distraction product roadmap pile. And then it was a really big surprise to think that we could build a tool for customers, but mm. position it in a way that could get tens of leads, qualified leads a week. Um, and so when I left, it was because we weren't doing a lot with that app. And I thought mm -hmm. there was a lot of value there. And now I'm, I'm just delighted that every couple of weeks I see a new update of this app kind of three to four years after um, I was there. So that's been a great surprise that it's still, I think if you have a cross-functional group of people, you can achieve like some pretty incredible things with mm. some pretty lean, I guess, commitments or investments. Um, and that's what I mean about the pro like the power of a good growth marketer is huge. Someone that's not that traditional marketer. I mentioned it um, deputy at the moment work with this great Kiwi called Dom uh, Newman, but the power of someone who knows how to guide a product team to build a growth tool, but still position it in a way that really resonates mm. with what you're trying to achieve um, and that's very difficult to a product marketing role where it's more about how do I get people to use a feature that's just been released? It's a different type of skill set, um, very commercially minded as well. Um, yes, yeah, so I think that kind of dual role of kind of having product and marketing with this growth mindset um, mm. is, is a recipe for success. Awesome to have you on the podcast today, Jordan. Thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Thanks. Yeah, you're a bundle of knowledge. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you for listening to the Net Positive Podcast brought to you by Upflowing. Thank you.